Welcome to Sofa Security Chat Chat, episode 72 for September the 8th, 2011. I'm Chester Wisniewski, and my guest this week is Mike Wood. Uh, Mike's been on the program before. He's a senior threat researcher here at Sophos Labs in Canada. Welcome, Mike. Thanks for having me on the program, Chet. It's good to have you back, and actually, it's good to be back myself. Uh, for people that subscribe to the RSS or uh, follow along, I've been gone for about a week and a half-ish. I had a little mini vacation and a scheduling snafu for recording the Chet Chat, so I decided that it's okay to have a break once in a while, so it's been uh, it's been a little over two weeks, I think, since I've had the Chet Chat, but I'm back, and... Uh, Batteries are charged better than ever, and summer started here last week in Vancouver, <laughs> about a week before it ends, so that's pretty cool. A uh, couple news items before. I brought Mike on because Mike is kind of uh, our internal expert here, especially in the lab in Vancouver, around digital certificates, trust, and identity on the Internet, that type of thing. Uh, Mike presented a paper at Virus Bulletin uh, a little over a year ago on uh, Want My Autograph, which is related to how malware authors use digital signatures sometimes, um, code signing and this type of stuff. We're going to talk about what do these signatures mean, uh, you know, what kind of fraud have we seen related to signatures, and then we're going to talk a little bit about the, these new attacks. I mean, it's been a big news this week that there's been some certificate authorities, uh, companies that we uh, put our trust in, and uh, what you know, what does it mean if these guys are compromised? And what can we do about it? So uh, that's why I have Mike here this week. And then first, I'm just going to just go through the news real quick. First off, uh, Patch Tuesday is next Tuesday. Uh, you know, Microsoft just did an out-of-band patch this Tuesday related to this certificate situation, blocking uh, these compromised certificates from the Netherlands. But in addition to that, Microsoft will be releasing five in their normal patch cycle on Tuesday upcoming. Uh, doesn't look too bad. There's three for Microsoft Office, one for Windows Server 2003 and 2008 and 2008 R2, and one for standard Windows uh, desktop operating systems, Windows 7, XP, etc. Uh, the Windows um, generic one the, uh, is probably the most important as it's a remote code execution. The Windows Server one is an elevation of privilege, which means if an attacker were to get an unprivileged account on your server system, he may be able to then become administrator without necessarily compromising the password and uh, the the office ones are marked important so we don't really have any more details than that that I can disclose but uh, it looks like reasonably lightweight but certainly that server and um, and, and Windows 7 XP Vista one is probably something you want to look out and get out there um, reasonably quickly and get yourself back into the habit of um, Microsoft seems to alternate between monster patch Tuesdays and little baby ones so I think that um, we should be prepared for a large one in October so don't let the September one sit around. Firesheep's been updated. Uh, there was a blog post uh, today by one of my colleagues, uh, Mark Stockley, about um, a new version of Firesheep. So if you're not familiar with Firesheep, it was a tool used to hijack people's Facebook and Twitter accounts uh, from you know Starbucks, the airport, the hotel, open Wi-Fi. And um, fortunately, the pressure applied by that author got all these people to change, and most of them do use HTTPS or offer it now, and some of them by default. So I guess someone else decided that wasn't enough pain to cause the average open Wi-Fi user and released an updated version of the tool, which now allows people to um, snag your Google search history. So if you're a Google account holder and log into Gmail or Google Plus or Google Docs or Google Google anything, um, the, the default is that all your Google searches get logged at Google. And this new version of Firesheep allows people to capture that cookie um, that possesses access to the, your search history and allow third parties to see what you've been searching, which is rather unpleasant. So if you 
are a Google user and you're concerned about this, uh, either don't use open Wi-Fi, which is my recommendation. Just never use open Wi-Fi without a VPN or something. Uh, I prefer SSH tunnels, but they do leak DNS, so VPNs are preferred. Um, and if you do use open Wi-Fi and you don't want this to happen, you can go into your Google profile, go into your settings, and you can disable the ability for Google to maintain or track your search history, which solves the problem. Uh, Google's reportedly working on solving this so that this won't work any longer. Um, Mike, you watched, uh, uh, or at least downloaded the paper related to this paper install paper. You actually knew some of these guys that you said to me before the podcast. Uh, yeah, yeah. Back when I was doing my research at UBC, I, I worked with uh, Christian and Vern uh, on some uh, DN or some packet packet symmetry metrics for. Um, preventing denial of service attacks cool yeah these guys just presented a paper at the unix security symposium about three weeks ago i wrote up an article on naked security related to it because they kind of dissect the what's known as the paper install economy and to the average person that's just a bunch of letters that don't mean anything at all but what we're getting at is uh, and all of us in the malware industry have known this for a long time is this is all financially driven and you got to follow the money to figure out what these guys are doing and how they operate and come up with clever ideas on how we can slow them down. And this paper um, that was that was presented at USENIX was fantastic, showing how uh, like what what types of malware are being distributed and how they're distributing and where they're distributing them to. And certain types of malware, like um, uh, a particular, uh, I believe it was Rustock, uh, spamming bot. It was kind of generic. Like, it didn't matter. They would pay to have it installed on computers in any country in the world. It's like, we're just going to send spam. We don't really care where your computer is. Uh, whereas other types of things like DDoSing seem to focus on Asian countries. It was mostly the South Korea and Japan and things that they were buying machines to host, which kind of implies either that maybe their target was there for this particular attack or um, those computers are cheaper. We also got a glimpse into the cost of infecting a thousand machines in the United States versus Canada or Great Britain or Japan or Korea, etc., and could see um, the value that the bot herders place on their assets. And uh, in my article, I just mentioned, I, I, I look at these guys like the Amazon EC2, uh, the elastic computing cloud of criminalism, right? I mean, they've been doing cloud computing before any of us thought to use it legitimately. And uh, I thought it was some great research. So uh, you, you made good friends at UPC. Uh, so you might want to check it out. The video is available for free on the usedix.org website. And uh, it's a great presentation. The last story before we get into our certificate debacle is um, there was a big DNS hijacking last weekend. If you are... Um, as nerdy and boring as myself and some others, you may have been around on the Labor Day holiday here in the U.S. and Canada uh, surfing uh, for tech news, and you might have stumbled across the register.co.uk having a nice Turkish hacker message posted to it, and then um, went from there to go check on your delivery of your eBay packages that you just purchased on ups.com and found that, oh, it's owned by the Turkish as well. Um, there was a huge list, hundreds of very high-profile uh, websites that were their, their DNS records were hijacked. So their, their websites were not hacked. Nothing, nobody hacked into the register. Nobody hacked into UPS. They were able to basically um, uh, arrest control of the DNS records for those domains and redirect them to a page that was controlled by the attackers uh, promoting some world hacker day or something. Uh, I think talking about it is giving them more credit than they deserve. But uh, it does raise questions of what, what's going on over at NetNames, the domain registrar that, that was hit with this attack. Uh, I think they came out and said it was some sort of SQL injection in the end. There was some sort of flaw in one of their web management interfaces that they present for their customers to manage their DNS records. And they've got it all back under control. But uh, it just you know goes to show how fragile the entire Internet ecosystem is. I mean, I mean, at every level, there's an opportunity for bad things to happen. 
And I got quite a few queries from the press saying, well, wouldn't DNSSEC stop this? Um, no, if you can compromise the DNS registrar and create your own records, then they're going to sign them saying they're valid, right? There, there's, there's no, um, and that kind of is a great segue about digital signatures. I mean, it's, it's part of the solution to a lot of problems we have, but it's not necessarily a solution. It's just, a, it's a piece of the puzzle. So, I mean, to begin with, I mean, what are certificates? Like I, I tell my mom and and my dad that you know they should when they're when they're managing their stock portfolio or logging in Bank of America or whatever always make sure that little padlock's in the corner and you know obviously there's a lot more to it than that but what you know how does this kind of process from start to finish work like i mean that that padlock is supposed to represent security what's the what's the deal right so that padlock is is certainly using certificates in order to validate the identity of the website that you're going to visit um, and that's basically all a, a certificate is. It's not. It's not particular to um, HTTPS uh, or any kind of web protocol specifically. Uh, it's, a certificate is just a mechanism. It's a cryptographic mechanism that's used to authenticate a piece of data. So, so it's like a driver's license or a passport. It's an identity that represents something that some authority figure issued you. That's kind of official. That's right, and and the key there, you bring up some authority that you uh, the the whole cryptographic chain ends up having to bubble up to something that you trust explicitly without being able to verify it in some other way, um, and that's where these certificate authorities come into play, who are the entities that issue these certificates and start off the chain that let you end up authenticating a website. So me buying a coffee mug that says world's greatest hacker may not actually be believed by most people in my office because it doesn't have that authority backing it. But if it, if I got that coffee mug from Kevin Mitnick, then there are perhaps his authority would imply that maybe I am the world's greatest hacker. Is that kind of a maybe a really dumb way of saying it, but kind of the idea? <laughs> perhaps. It depends if you can uh, convince a trusted authority to issue you a certificate that says you're the world's greatest hacker <laughs> all right well, I, I don't want good luck get, to you with that yeah i don't want to get accused of being gregory evans here um so when we look at this we've seen fraud targeting the system before because the idea should be that if i have a piece of computer code or a website that's signed by this authority figure that we trust um we'll mention our one of our favorite competitors at the Symantec Verisign Cybernetics Corporation and they've issued this certificate and it says that something this piece of code is really from Adobe or this website really is eBay um we've that's a pretty valuable thing right because a lot of people place an inherent trust in that then they go well you know that's really eBay because I've got the padlock and and when I investigate that this very reputable firm stands behind it saying yeah it's eBay um, what kinds of fraud have we seen targeting this before? Because obviously, any time you, you, you can gain people's trust, it's going to help you in social engineering. It's going to help you in fraud and criminalism. So you wrote, you know, your paper I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast was kind of about uh, how criminals are trying to manipulate the system. What, what things have we seen in the past? That's right. So in the, in the paper, I detail a number of different ways, and, and there's different sophistication levels, too, in the abuses that have been seen. Um, so both with website and code signing uh, abuse, we see um, the, the sort of trivial abuse in, in attackers creating their own certificates. So these are not certificates that are issued by a certificate authority. Uh, and so whenever your your operating system or browser goes to validate some piece of code or a website, 
um, these handcrafted certificates are not going to validate. So that's those warnings that pop up when you hit a lot of um, small-time or non-professional sites especially. I mean, I hate to classify it that way because it implies somehow that they're bad, and they're not necessarily. But you get that Firefox pop-up that has the traffic cop, and it says, gee, I don't know if you should trust going to this site. Warning, warning, warning. And because we all see it four times a week, we go, yeah, proceed. Get out of the way, traffic cop. I, I, you know, we generally ignore these things, unfortunately. Exactly. I'm, but when that warning pops up for a site uh, that's adobe.com or google.com, uh, then that should definitely lead you to some suspicion. Yeah, I, I was telling folks that if you get that warning and the place that you're going, you're going to enter anything in that you wouldn't necessarily paint on a banner and hang from your rooftop, then you should be heeding it. Like, if you're going somewhere that's just the kids' soccer club blog, you probably can safely ignore it as long as you don't spill the beans about, you know, exactly where your kids are located so they get kidnapped or something. But, you know, that kind of thing's probably okay. And like you say, though, if I'm going somewhere where I use my credit card, like Amazon, and I see that, I should be going, well, what the heck? Uh, that's you know. right. That's pretty sensible advice. And so then going on to the, the next level of abuse that we see, there there's some attackers, particularly the fake AV um, payment processor fraudsters. Um, those guys tend to try to get legitimate certificates from from genuine C certificate authorities, from genuine CAs. So they go to GoDaddy and try to just buy themselves a certificate for antivirusxp2011.com. That's or... right. Uh, they create their own bogus fake AV domain, and then they go to GoDaddy and get what's called, uh, they typically get what's called a domain-validated certificate, where the process of identifying the owner of this domain so uh, and validating their identity is entirely automated. Which is what, seems what could go wrong. <laughs> it, it's completely backwards in the sense that you're getting an identity-focused product in an anonymous way, which which doesn't doesn't compute at all. Um, right. But but that's that's the going rate for for issuing these lower grade certificates. Yeah, because there was a lot of pressure, and we talked about this a bit before we recorded today, but there was a lot of pressure back in the day when certificates were very expensive that too many people were being locked out of being able to offer security on their websites. Like, there was a lot of people that were like, well, you know, I, I'm not accepting credit cards, but I simply want my forum to be secure. I don't want people just sniffing and spying at everything everybody that comes along that does. I'd like to be able to offer some security um, and why should I have to pay, insert X hundred dollars here to company X to get something, it's just too darn hard and too expensive. So I think that was the pressure that was applied to kind of introduce this new domain-validated, automated thing. But it is kind of weird. It's sort of, uh, you know, it's like going to the driver's license authority and them saying, well, do, you know, do you speed? Nope, nope, I don't speed. Have you ever had a drunk driving ticket? Nope, nope, don't even drink. Okay, here you go. Here's a clean driver's license. No points. Go ahead. You know, it's kind of odd that you're – we've seen the fake AV guys abusing that. I, I um, the, the other type's called extended validation, and that's where they're supposed to actually – have humans involved to verify that in some way you really are representing the organization you say and we've seen those abused too i mean there, there was a very high profile incident a few years ago with vonage um nothing against vonage of course they were the victims here they were the ones that these guys were pretending to be but you know they set up a whole shell company like they had an address in the phone book they put themselves on google maps all this stuff so that when the the certificate authority validated who they were everything looked legit like they looked like of the real deal and that's a difficult problem to deal with, too. Uh, I mean, arguably, um, I, I don't know. You, you don't know someone's intention to commit a crime until they've done it. 
So you could set up a company and then you, you and I can go into business consulting tomorrow and we're legitimate, right? And, and the only thing we should have to do to prove we're legitimate is that we have a business license or that we have a telephone number or that we have an address where we accept mail for our organization. And six months later, we could change our mind and go, huh, not enough money in this consulting. I'm just going to sell fake antivirus. And suddenly we went from being good to bad overnight. So what good did that verification really do, right? That's right. And and that's always going to be a risk. And the the right solution in, in that sense is to have the ability to respond quickly and turn around the revocation of certificates that are Which discovered to be fraudulent. Doing some research with you previously, we also discovered that doesn't really do a whole heck of a lot of good. Uh, the revocation. So the, the idea is this system should be secure that when you and I turn bad, then whoever issued us our certificate saying that we were good, can turn around and go, oh, wait, wait, no, we're going to take that, we take that back. We want, please cut up that ID, put it in an envelope and mail it back to us. You can't have it anymore. You're no longer trustworthy. And that's called certificate revocation. But I don't, and unfortunately, we, neither of us, I think, did the research before the podcast to know exactly which browsers do exactly which things right now. But in general, browsers aren't checking stuff to see if it's been revoked. And at least that was the case a year ago when, when we last talked. That's right. Um, in terms of the default configurations, uh, it was determined that uh, it, it, was, it was a mix between certificate revocation list checking and o- using OCSP, the online certificate kind status of a cloud protocol. Exactly, yeah. Um, the dynamic lookup. That the configurations for all the default browsers, uh, none of them provide uh, by default the the best security practice um, in in terms of certificate revocation checking um, and, and because and it's a mix of the certificate authority services and and the and the browser software um, in that some certificates don't have this cloud lookup feature so some browsers by default only check this cloud lookup OCSP um, feature whereas some certificates that are issued and these like like these domain validated ones um t- which turn out to be fraudulent they don't offer the OCSP mechanism as a revocation mechanism they're purely certificate revocation list based which is more of a static thing that has to be configured manually in most browsers yeah and, and i think there's a cost issue there too right i mean that's just because they're cheap they don't want to run the services and have to have the infrastructure and exactly because they'll end up with many more of these automated issued certificates yeah and that, that, this is where things start to get really messy and complicated because uh, well, i did look into this a little bit recently so ie9 seems to do everything um now and it seems to have all the most strict defaults which is great um, Firefox is checking OCSP by default, but that's it, and it fails open. So if, if if you can't reach the server for some reason, instead of failing, it tells you it just ignores it and lets you go. Um, then you've got OS 10, which does nothing. Uh, so that means Safari, Chrome, any of the browsers that honor the operating system. So all browsers seem to follow the operating system's lead as to which certificates they trust or don't trust, with the exception of Firefox. Uh, Firefox maintains their own list, and Chrome is a weird hybrid. Um, Chrome has its own blacklist, but other than that, trusts the operating system, which is kind of strange, but um, it, whatever works for, for the vendor. But they can get real certs. Occasionally, we try to revoke them, but people may or may not actually get the message that they've been revoked, so there's kind of a problem there. This attack, I mean, it's Diginotar thing, so they're a, a, a little background, you know, they're a company based in the Netherlands, they were involved with a lot of stuff directly with the Dutch government, and they're owned by a 
company in Chicago that's famous for issuing those tokens with the numbers that change on them all the time. So if you're a World of Warcraft player or a PayPal player, um, you'll have one of these tokens potentially from Vasco, which is their parent company. And they issue a lot of these ones that are branded for different purposes to your bank, uh, to the World of Warcraft Blizzard folks, to PayPal, etc. They make all these two-factor tokens. And they have purchased Diginotar just a little less than a year ago. And I think the reason they had is because Diginotar was very tight in with the Dutch government and providing uh, what we call PKI services or public key infrastructure services to the government for identity and healthcare and policing and all kinds of stuff uh, to do digital identification. Well, I think we've kind of seen it confirmed now that this Iranian hacker broke into their system, totally compromised them, had control of these certificate powers at the very top of this chain of trust that you were describing. And uh, I mean, there's really no way to confirm it for sure. But what he did yesterday was he, or day before, I believe, but he issued a copy of the Windows Calculator.exe file that he signed with Google's private key. Um, so this fake Google certificate he issued he used to sign a piece of code to show that he in fact is in possession of the keys to the kingdom as it were what you know when we look at this so the the way this was noticed was that some iranian users noticed that they were getting a bogus certificate for google.com i mean what what does that allow someone to do so the person who possesses the ability to pretend they're google now that they have a certificate that says they're google what can they do with it? Well, you just you, you just need to think for a, a few moments about uh, all the information that you share and exchange between Google or or any of the other sites that were seen to be compromised, like Facebook, Live, um, all of these sites where you know there's a vast amount of personal information being shared, and that information would all be available to the attacker if they are able to. Um, essentially insert themselves in the middle of your communication between the the true Google servers. But that, so that, essentially that's man not in trivial. the middle. This that's that's correct. Um but just like you were pointing out uh before going on an open Wi-Fi network you expose yourself to a lot of vulnerabilities and if you're not um careful with which access point you you are uh, attaching to you could be you know jumping onto the network created by your your neighbor who's sipping a latte as opposed to Starbucks. Yeah, I think, um, you know, a lot of folks that were, maybe it was their first DEF CON this year um, experienced man-in-the-middle attacks firsthand uh, at the conference because I think if you are on the open Wi-Fi and you haven't been man-in-the-middle, then there's probably a problem. Um, so good lessons for folks to learn. But, you know, I, I um, can't seem to get the message across to enough people that public Wi-Fi is never a good idea unless you have uh, some good crypto behind you. But yeah, that, that's the point, I guess. I mean, if we want, if we were in, if you and I were in possession of this Google private key related to this, you know, certificate that was in essence uh, fraudulently, legitimately signed, like, it, you know, people are going, it's stolen. Well, it's not really stolen. They, they broke in and, and took the notary stamp off the notary's desk and just started stamping all their documents with them, right? And they're, as far as anything's concerned, look perfectly legitimate. Um, fortunately, Microsoft has released a patch for Windows to recognize these and block it. Uh, in Internet Explorer and anything that trusts Windows. Um, Chrome and Firefox have both also blacklisted them, so make sure... Well, with Chrome, it's hard not to run the latest version. They don't really let you control it. Uh, but Firefox, you should be running 6.0.2 to be sure that these certificates won't be used against you. Apple users are pretty much screwed. 
um, my, Apple has not acknowledged that this is a problem or even admitted that there's a problem at all. Um, there's been no updates to OS 10, no updates to Safari. Uh, browsers that trust the operating system like Chrome um, potentially are vulnerable to, to part of this still on OS 10 machines. Um, it's it's kind of a mess over there. If you if you're genuinely interested, there's a blog called PS Enable. I linked to it off Naked Security that explains uh, how to remove it. In going into the keychain and deleting Diginotar from your trusted keys in the keychain does not work. Um, that only deletes the ability to trust what Mike was calling the domain validated certs, but any um, that are extended validation that have been issued and some of the fraudulent ones that were issued were extended validation um, for whatever reason are not controlled by the keychain on OS 10. You have to go to the command line and run some mumbo jumbo in the bash shell there to remove the extended validation certs in OS 10. So it's a non-trivial operation for people that aren't happy or comfortable at the command line if they're Mac users. Um, but there's plenty of tutorials out there on the internet. Take a look. It's not that hard to do. If you follow the instructions, do a little cut and paste, you'll be just fine. Um, is there anything other points you'd like to make i mean there's accusations by this guy that he got into startcom uh which is a, a well-known somewhat free uh certificate authority although it appears the owner of startcom kind of caught him in the act and shut him down so that was good he also claims to have gotten into global sign which is a much much more concerning situation diginotar is primarily only active in the netherlands where global sign uh, is their neighbor in, in belgium um but happens to be the world's fifth largest authority that signs these things which could be you know there may be a little ripple in the water from diginotar but if global sign genuinely has a problem we're going to see waves i mean that's not going to be good yeah i think i think the response from global sign is has been appropriate and and good for the for the industry given that it's a, a trust-based industry and they're taking the approach to look look for the look for a problem before uh, as opposed to having uh, a reactive um a approach yeah. If they discover it down the line, as opposed to the Diginotar um, tactic where the intrusion was detected early on, but nothing done about it. Yeah, I mean, uh, for, for a lot of the details on the Diginotar stuff, check out the blog articles on Naked Security because I, I go into some details and, you know, they they detected they were compromised about two months before a lot of this all came down and didn't tell anyone. And, you know, when you're put in a position of trust and you have a security incident, I think everybody needs to know right away. And that's it's not going to make you look bad. It's going to make you look strong because that's what we expect from people that we place our trust in. And uh, in the case of Global Sign, they've come out and, and basically said this guy claims he hacked our system. So what do we do? We just shut off all of our systems and we're not going to sign any certificates until we prove that we're safe and that we're clean and that we can be trusted. And it's got to cost them some bucks. I feel bad for them, but um, it's the right thing to do. I, f I feel a lot better about their brand knowing that they've done this, if, especially if they come out clean in the end, um, than had they just decided to ignore it and coast along. So that it's sad news, but they're doing the right thing. On that note, I'm going to wrap up Software Security Chat Chat Episode 72. As always, our podcasts are available via RSS uh, from iTunes. Uh, they're always on the Naked Security blog and at podcast.sophos.com and now on Stitcher as well if you're a mobile podcast listener. And uh, the latest news is certainly available at nakedsecurity.sophos.com. Until next time, stay secure.